0: So, we are in the midst of our Easter season. And it can be quite easy for us to, on any given day, uh, slip into thinking that there's nothing particularly Eastery about it. You have to give me some leeway. I know Eastery is not a word, and Anne's looking at me like, use English, boy but i had to come up with something and that's the best i could think of it's not particularly eastery we say christmasy so why can't we say eastery all right the hype the excitement that we feel on easter morning can easily slip away and we don't tend to always feel that through the year we don't position ourselves in a way to truly engage with the easter story um And even now, just three weeks on, it can feel sometimes a bit of a distant memory. What have we been doing? What were we looking at particularly? And today, our reading from Luke, it brings us right back to Easter day. The beginning of Luke chapter 24, you've got Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, other women going to the tomb. You've got them then going from what they've seen, reporting the good news back to the disciples. And the disciples are like, well, this seems a bit of an idle tale to me. Um, With the exception of Peter, who runs to the tomb, sees it empty, just as the women had said, but he doesn't meet Jesus. And then on that same day, two of the disciples, they're walking to Emmaus. And Jesus just appears next to them as they're talking. And they're talking about everything that has happened. And as they're talking about those events of Holy Week, Jesus just says, oh, what are we talking about? And and Cleopas says, well, are you the only person in Jerusalem that has no idea about what's happened? Um, And he continues to talk with Jesus and the two of them, not recognizing who Jesus is, but sharing their story, sharing what's been happening. And I love, I love how Jesus is just walking alongside them. He's not interrupting them. He's just listening to their story. And even when they say things that I can imagine, Jesus is like, oh, come on guys. And they're saying stuff like, oh, well, we hoped he'd be the one to redeem Israel. and But Jesus doesn't interrupt them at that point. He lets them continue. And they share about what's happened. They share about the women seeing the tomb empty. And, and, G, and, and Peter running off to see where Jesus lay and seeing that empty, but not meeting Jesus himself. And at that point, Jesus says, now I'm going to have to speak. And he says, how foolish you are says, how, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary for the Messiah to go through this stuff, to suffer so that he then may enter into his glory? And Jesus goes on and he unpacks uh, scripture. And he talks all the way back to Moses and then prophets since Moses. And he's saying, It's all pointing to me. It's all pointing to Jesus, to the Messiah. Come on, guys, you've got to get this. And as I said last week, there's this this tension between us wanting to see in order to believe and actually then actually stepping into faith where we don't have to physically see something to believe in it. And when we talk about Having faith in things, we sometimes find it a lot easier than having faith in God. And the thing that comes to my mind straight away is gravity. Can we see gravity? No. How do we know gravity is there? Well, because we're not floating around in the air. Because um, an apple fell and hit someone on the head. You know, uh, we know it exists, and people place their faith in that you say, people say, have faith in science. Well, okay. But a lot of science is theory. And yet we still have faith in it. But then when it comes to faith in God, we can struggle more. We've got to see it. And there's people who are like, no, if I don't see God, I'm not going to believe in God. So here you've got these two disciples. They're walking down the road and they see Jesus, but they don't recognize him because their eyes are, are kept from recognizing who he is until the latter point at which they then go, oh, like the light bulb moment, right? That's who it was. How did we not get that? See, faith, when we're talking about faith in Jesus Christ, we're talking about faith as a gift, We're talking about faith being received through grace and leading to salvation. And in our readings this week, as we have reflected on last Sunday and prepared ourselves for this Sunday, if you uh, get our newsletter, you'll get the list of readings that are prepared to, to kind of do that, reflect Monday through Wednesday, and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, build to, to prepare for what we're going to hear on a Sunday and, and unpack a little bit more. Um, Thursday and Friday was, was kind of the beginning of, of the, the epistle from Peter, walking through, picking up from last week into this week. And at Prayer for All on Thursday morning, we sat and we discussed and we talked about um, how faith is worked out how we are, in in effect, a work in progress. Um, And we're being shaped as we move, as we continually walk with Jesus. And uh, I'm a bit of a Ted Lasso fan. A couple of weeks ago, a certain member of the congregation asked me, have you been catching any of the latest? And I was like, I haven't managed. Uh, But I did take some time, beginning of this week, And I think I caught three episodes in a row, a bit of binge watching. And I love one of the phrases he uses. Somebody calls him a mess as he's walking through life. And we can all be a bit of a mess as we walk through life, as we walk with Jesus. And instead of using that word like work in progress, well, he just came up with a word, I'm a prog mess. And I was like, that's kind of perfect. And it fits Exactly what I'm trying to say today. We're walking with Jesus, and we are a bit of a prog mess. We've got things that we remember from days gone by, which we struggle with. We've got things going forward, which we want to achieve, but we're not sure how we're going to achieve it. And we've got the present where we're just like, I just want to be better. But I don't know how to be. Well, in walking alongside Jesus, that's the only way to get better. And, and then we get into, a bit further in, into this, this epistle from Peter, and in verse 8 of chapter 1, uh, he writes, although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And so we're looking at that again, that you don't need to see in order to believe. And he says, you believe and you rejoice in an indescribable and glorious joy for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Okay, faith, it doesn't make everything perfect. It doesn't make it all easy and simple. It actually is hard work. The easy bit is saying yes to following Jesus and saying, yeah, I'm going to snap your hand off at that invitation for eternal life the struggle and the difficulty comes in then living into that because we're in covenantal relationship. And so actually when we talk about God's love for us and, and, and people will overuse the unconditional nature of God's love, or well God's love is unconditional in that he sent his only son to die for us. But what's the next bit? So that all who believe may have eternal life. So God's love as we say yes to Jesus isn't unconditional. It comes with conditions. We have a covenantal relationship. So we receive from God, but he expects everything from us in return. So faith isn't simple. It's actually very, very, very difficult to walk a life with Jesus. And so thinking of being a prog mess, and I'm going to declare that all of you are prog messes, including myself and everyone watching at home, what makes us the most messy is that as we believe in Jesus and we say yes to that invitation, we, we don't fully step into being a new creation like Scripture tells us we are. We try to squeeze in some of our old self and retain a little bit of ourselves in the power that we want to keep instead of just giving to God. Instead of walking with Jesus and saying, You are my Lord and my Savior. We all want a Savior, but how many of us actually want a Lord? How many have actually lived into that and truly? accept that as part of our faith, we're saying, Jesus, you're Lord, your King, I subject myself to you. And Peter goes on and he writes that, verses 13 through 16, therefore prepare your minds for action, discipline yourselves, set all of your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you again to new life as he is revealed. He says that we've got to be like obedient children, not to conform to our own desires as we formerly would have in ignorance. And this is my paraphrasing a lot of what, what Peter is saying there as opposed to a direct quote. Uh, but he says that in, instead, as, as it's written, we should be holy as he is holy. That's the whole purpose of our faith. We're on a journey of walking with Jesus to be made righteous and holy. And that takes work. It's not an easy ride. And there's plenty of opportunities to fail. And here at St. John, I like to tell people, that you've got permission to fail. Because actually in failure, we get to grow further and we get to recognize where we're trying to be Lord of ourselves and we're not yet fully giving to Jesus. Because we've got, we've got a battle going on a little bit here. We've got Jesus who wants to come and give us life abundantly and we've got the enemy who wants to come and defile and destroy. Who wants to stop us having life who wants to bring death. And you're going to hear more about that next week when Wendy is going to be preaching on John 10. Kind of giving her a plug. I don't know where she went. (laughs) But it's going to be looking at that kind of thing, so I don't want to ruin it too much for, for what she might already have planned for that. But as we walk by faith and we walk with Jesus by our side, we've got to be not so much concentrating on the things that have happened before. Um, to take another analogy, as Paul writes in, in, in the Corinthians letter, to the Corinthians says, run a race, right? Faith is like running a race, persevering, having our eyes on the prize, the goal line, trying to get to the end. Well, as I was reflecting on that letter today, I thought, okay, if life really was a race, what kind of race would it be? And it would probably be 110 meter hurdles in my mind. Yeah? And I don't know if you ever tried to run a hurdle race. I was made to at school. And if you hit a hurdle, it jolly well hurts. Especially if you don't quite get that, that, that leg raised in the right way and your knee clamors into that metal. You can, can have a lasting, <laughs> lasting lifelong injury from doing those things. Um, I still curse my teachers for making me do it. Um, but if faith is like running a 110-meter hurdle race, then actually, let's think about that. If you're running a race and you're jumping those hurdles, if you hit one, what do you do? Well, you carry on running. You go to the next one. You don't stop, reset the hurdle, take a few steps back, and then try to jump it again and carry on. Because that would be a stupid thing to do. (laughs) I can't think of a better word to say other than a stupid thing to do. And as we're running with Jesus, as we're walking this life of faith, we need to keep our eyes on the finish line. So if you've hit a hurdle and you're struggling, and you've hurt yourself, then keep going. Don't concentrate on that that just happened, because you can't change it. You can give it to God, you can enter into a life of repentance, and stepping into belief as you continue in that race, keeping your eyes fixed on the prize at the end, which is Jesus. Now, if we were all to line up and have a race, you might be thinking, well, who's going to win? But in this instance, as we walk with Jesus, everyone who engages and takes part and lives a life of faith is eligible for the prize. Okay? It's not a race between who gets there first, because I don't want to get there first. I kind of like my life a little bit like it is now, you know? Um... I'm hoping that people who have had a much better life than me already get to see Jesus and meet him in heaven before I do. I've got a lot of work still to do before I get to heaven. So if you've hit a hurdle, if you're in pain, I think today I'm just going to say move on. Lay the pain down. Let the hurdle stay on the floor. Because if you pick it up and try to do it again, chances are you'll probably hurt yourself again. You're not going to perfect yourself. The only way to become perfect is to reach the prize at the end. And it matters not if we hit a hurdle, but how we respond to hitting that hurdle. It matters that we continue in the walk with Jesus. And when you think about Jesus, what's your reaction? Do his words amaze you? Do the works that you read about and see even today as we witness miracles, do his works astound you? And do the ways that he lives and he asks us to come in and live, does that attract you? See, the end of 1 Peter chapter 1, it tells us now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth so that you have genuine mutual affection, love one another deeply from the heart, you have been born anew. Not of perishable, but imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. See, we don't need to do anything to be saved because faith brings salvation through the gift of grace. But as we say yes to Jesus and we enter into a a life of faith, we need to be trekking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, and being transformed by Jesus. Because our souls are purified by our obedience to the truth. Salvation comes through faith. And the same way that faith needs to be worked on, and we're told in the beginning of that part of of Peter's epistle, that salvation is being received. It's not being received, it's being received. We are working on it. Is it possible for us to walk away from salvation? Sadly, yes. We can choose to do that because God has given us the free will to do that. But we can continually press forward, press on, go to the goal, head toward the prize. And as we do that, we've got to live a life which resembles our decision to do that. All people who are being saved, who are working towards that end goal, have had the Spirit deposited into their life. And having the Spirit in us should be shown that the Spirit is in us. The world should see that. And I'm I'm thinking, okay, how do we show that the Spirit is in us? Well, we exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. Yeah, so Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. There'll be some of those that you're like, I can't do that one. <laughs> and in yourself, no, you can't. You know, who is good other than God? Who is truly patient other than God? God. There's those jokes, isn't there? If you want to <laughs> be careful what you pray for, pray for patience, Woo-hoo, you're going to be given that opportunity to be patient. Be wary. Same with any of them. If you pray for self-control, be prepared to be given the opportunity to strengthen yourself in self-control. God wants us to grow in all of those areas and to show the world the Spirit living in us. And that brings us back to how the disciples lived, even during those three days as they walked without Jesus by their side. They still gathered together, they still worshipped, they still prayed, they still shared life together and lived in community. And I'm just going to have the band come up and they're going to get ready to lead us uh, in response to this and, and in prepare, preparation to go to confession. Um, but I, looking at the life of the disciples, it just brings to my mind something that I say quite regularly. And a number of people don't like that I say it. And they struggle with what I'm trying to say when I do say it. But I say faith isn't personal. It's for sharing. And if I unpack that a little bit, what I mean by that, I'm not saying you don't need to have a personal relationship with Jesus, because you do, but I'm saying that that relationship you have with Jesus, that the faith that's instilled in you, actually isn't just for you. It's for everyone who you come into contact with for you to give away to them. I'm saying that It's not possible to have a personal relationship with Jesus and not be a member of a church, not join with other members and believers. You can't be a standalone believer in Jesus. You're called to be part of the body of Christ. And one of my favorite pieces of liturgy that, sadly, we don't say much in the Lutheran church the Anglicans got it good. They say we are one body because we all share in one bread. And as we come to communion and we break bread and we share in the body of Christ as he is broken for us, we are one body because we are all connected to Jesus. They gathered, they prayed, they shared, they were a community. Of faith, and they allowed themselves to be transformed by Him. So, as you think on that, and what's the thing, the nugget that God's laying on your heart, the band are going to help lead us into preparing to come in prayer and lay ourselves out on the table for God and pick up that which He has for us.